Hello, and welcome to the fourth Bible study about the subject of our Lord's return. And appropriately, we reach today the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And this is the first time we we shall have been looking at the book of Revelation itself in any detail. According to the United Bible Societies, there are 405 verses in this book, but none of them quote the Old Testament. And yet, they say, there are 676 references or allusions to the Old Testament, many from the book of Isaiah. So to understand this book, we always have to keep our eyes on the Old Testament. Now, in May 2022, uh, Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, said the rise in food prices this year would be apocalyptic. Now, with all respect to the Governor of the Bank of England, he misused that word. That word has come to mean disaster, doom, death and destruction. It actually means an unveiling. It means a revealing of something which has been hidden, like the removing of a veil. Imagine our late Majesty going to a place and pulling a cord and... A curtain falls from a statue and and the statue which had been hidden is now revealed. It is apocalypsed. Now, the first time you read the book of Revelation, you probably took it literally. And I want to demonstrate that it, it is untenable to take the book of Revelation literally. For example, in chapter one, you read about Jesus with a huge sword coming out of his mouth. Does that mean the resurrected Christ can no longer speak because he has a sword instead of filling his mouth rather than a tongue? Or is it symbolic? When you come to chapter 4, you'll read about a rainbow resembling an emerald encircling God's throne. Well, an emerald is a precious stone, which is green, and a rainbow is a bow of light of seven colours. How can a rainbow resemble an emerald? Or is it symbolic of beauty? In chapter 5, John has a vision of the throne of God. He doesn't see God himself, but he sees three living things on the throne. He sees a lion, he sees a root, and he sees a lamb. We sing about the lion and the lamb, the root gets left out. Is there really, literally, a lion and a root and a lamb on the throne of God? Or is this symbolic of the nature of Christ? When you come to chapter 7, we read about the four corners of the earth. Well, if you take this book literally, you can't believe the earth is round. You have to believe it is a square or a rectangle. In the same chapter, chapter 7, I have to tell you, you cannot wash your dirty clothes in a lamb's blood and they'll come out white. It just won't happen. They'll come out red. It's symbolic. In chapter 21, we read that the great street in the New Jerusalem is a pure gold, transparent as glass. Gold isn't transparent. Gold is a metal. Glass is entirely different. You can't have transparent gold. It wouldn't be gold anymore. It's symbolic. It's more like, this book is more like the Lord of the Rings than Oliver Twist. Uh, Take an Old Testament example. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, one of the greatest evangelists ever was Billy Graham. But nobody says Billy Graham had beautiful feet because he brought good news all around the world. It's not meant to be taken literally. 
It's symbolic. When Martin Luther King said, I have a dream, nobody thought he was asleep. So this is a symbolic book. And when we come to it, we must use a telescope and not a microscope. If we use a microscope, we will look in every little detail and we'll puzzle. And that way, madness lies. Let me give you an example. In chapter 11, we read of two witnesses, which are two olive trees, which are two lampstands, and out of their mouths come fire. What? Do olive trees have mouths? Do lampstands have mouths? What's all this about? It's symbolic. If I asked you, what's the meaning of the parable of the Good Samaritan? You would say, something like this, you'd say, oh, it means if I meet somebody in need, I ought to help them. I need to love my neighbour as myself. Yes, you'd be right. Suppose I said, oh, no, no, that's not what it means at all. The Good Samaritan is Jesus. The traveller down the road is the human race. The robbers are Satan, sin and evil spirits. The priest and the Levite are the sacrificial system and the laws of Moses, which cannot save. The oil is the Holy Spirit and the wine is the blood of Jesus. The donkey is Jesus' righteousness on which we depend. The inn is the church and the two coins, well, they're either the word and the sacraments or maybe they're the the, uh, the breaking of bread and, and baptism. You see, if you take a microscope to stories in the Bible and ask for a meaning for every single detail, you'll get into a mess and all Sorts of people will come up with all sorts of different interpretations. We have to stand back and read the book of Revelation using a telescope. Now, the book of Revelation is a letter from Jesus to seven actual churches. They really exist in what we would now call Turkey around the year 95 AD. This book was written to real people, real churches, in real times, in real places, with real pastors. It was meant to be read and to be meaningful to the first recipients. Now, Scripture is what Scripture means. What Scripture meant to those first readers is what it means. If you would prefer a series of talks on the book of Revelation itself, can I recommend again Dan Rubens, who was the associate pastor in our church for some years. And he has 16 sermons, which he preached to living people, unlike me, speaking to a camera. 16 sermons on a Sunday morning. And you will find them here at that website address. I recommend them wholeheartedly. Let's take a telescope to chapters 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5. In chapter 1 we have the living Christ. God revealed, he apocalypsed things to Jesus, who apocalypse them to his angel or messenger, who then apocalypse them to John, who then wrote them down for the churches. And John sees Jesus in all his ascended glory and falls at his feet in worship. Then in chapter 2 and 3, we find the supervising Christ, who writes seven letters to seven churches in seven places in real time. Each church has real histories, Real successes, real failures, real weaknesses. Some members are even mentioned by name. 
And in chapter 4 and 5, we have the reigning, the worshipped Christ. We see the throne of God in heaven and God being worshipped by 24 elders and four creatures. And it's a scene of breathtaking beauty. And then he sees, John sees a, lion, a, a, a Christ in the form of a lion, a root and a lamb. A lion, because lions are dramatic, they are powerful, they are authoritative, they can even be terrifying. He sees a root. Because Jesus came from David and David came from Jesus. He sees a lamb because lambs were slain for our sins. Behold the lamb of God who took or takes away the sins of the world. These are symbols of Christ. It's Jesus that he saw. And Jesus received sevenfold worship. Worthy to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honour, Glory and praise. And then Jesus is given a scroll which is sealed. And so we come to Revelation chapter 6 and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Remember the Old Testament speaks of horses. It associates them with strength, terror, warfare and conquest. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. Now those of you who are still troubled by me saying you can't take this book literally, how can a lamb open a scroll? (laughs) Would he do it with his teeth? Would he do it with a hoof? It's Jesus using his hands who opens the scroll. Jesus is described in this book as the Lamb at least 31 times. He's called Jesus about 12 times. The Lamb is the favourite name for Jesus in this book. Uh, And this thunderous voice has come and there's a white horse and the rider on it has a bow and a crown. This is like the wreath. Do you remember the wreaths they put on the gold medal winners at the Athens Olympics. This rider is a conqueror seeking conquest. Now what does this mean? Now a rule of Bible interpretation is that if you've got a passage which is a little bit unclear, is there another which is more clear to help you understand it? And there is in chapter 19. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Clearly, that is the risen, reigning, ruling, conquering Christ. Isn't that who it is? Here in chapter 6, isn't this rider, Jesus himself, riding a forward to conquer the world with the gospel, that the gospel will be spread to every nation and there will be converts from all over the world. 
Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 24? And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. John Stott says, before the other horsemen spread the horrors of war, famine and death, Christ rides first at the head of the cavalcade. Now I have to tell you, there is another way of interpreting this, and that is that this rider on the white horse is an antichrist, somebody who is pretending to be Christ. And Dan Rubens takes that view. So you can see that the book of Revelation isn't always straightforward in its interpretation. For my money, the rider on the white horse is Jesus conquering the world with his gospel. We now come to the rider on the red horse. Verse 3. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Power to take peace away. Power to make men kill each other. This is war. This is warfare. The seven congregations had to be prepared for war. Isn't this what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount of Olives? You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, but the end is not yet. This is what is going to happen from the time that this book was written in AD 95, right through the church age, right up until the end when Jesus returns. As the kingdom of God is advancing and as the gospel is being preached and the rider on the white horse is having victories in the building of churches and of his kingdom, warfare is going to break out and there will be many casualties. There was warfare before the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. There was warfare for these seven churches. There is warfare in our time. There has always been warfare. Think of what is going on in Ukraine now. The rider on the red horse is still doing his evil work. While the kingdom of God is growing, on the other hand, there is a rider on a red horse opposing the work of God. And then we come to the rider on the black horse. Verse 5. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. Do not damage the oil and the wine. The rider on this horse is carrying scales, scales for the measuring of food in the marketplace because the wars are going to cause food price inflation. There is going to be food scarcity, there is going to be economic disaster lying ahead. A denarius, one day's pay, would normally buy you 16 quarts of wheat. But the time is coming when one day's pay would only buy you one quart of wheat. One day's pay, a denarius, would normally buy you eight quarts of barley for baking more basic bread. Now you can only get three quarts. Enough for the working man, not enough to feed his family. 
No food left over here for his children or the elderly in the house. Hunger. Food price inflation at 16%. But those who use oil and wine, they're, they're not so badly off. Those prices won't change so much. The oil and the wine, they were used mostly by the rich. And there wouldn't be a lot of inflation there, although they, of course, would need wheat for their bread. One quarter of wheat, three quarts of barley would normally feed only one man for one day. Famine, hunger, disaster. Didn't Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount of Olives there will be earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events. Jesus is saying, you seven churches in Turkey, you need to be prepared because there will be economic disaster coming your way. And then we have the ride on the pale horse. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. This pale horse, we get the word chlorine from that word pale. It's the colour of a corpse. It's the colour of death. If people are being killed in wars, if people can't afford their wheat and their barley, they're going to die. There are going to be casualties on a colossal scale. And this writer has two names, death and Hades. We know the meaning of the word death. The word Hades meant the abode of the dead, the realm where the dead went when they died. Thank God that in chapter 1 of this book, we read that Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. I want you to imagine living in Ukraine today and being a Christian and you're reading this and what comfort this would bring you that though there will be death, there will be wars, there will be food shortages, you will, some of you will die from famine. Behind it all, Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. He never relinquishes control. These wars causing famines will create a death rate of 25% due to war, famine, plague, wild animals. Wild animals will run wild because there are no humans who are fit enough to control them. And some wild animals were used in the Colosseums to cause Christians to be tortured and made to fight these wild animals. In the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, Jesus has said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events. In 1348, someone in Weymouth died of the Black Death. It was bubonic plague. Soon it had spread to Bristol, then to London, then all across England, Wales, Scotland and Ireland. It was the worst pandemic in European history ever. It has never been surpassed. Three archbishops of Canterbury died in quick succession and one-third of the population of Europe passed away. Incalculable casualties. You see, 
in this talk. We've seen how the Sermon on the Mount of Olives and John's account of the four horsemen of the apocalypse blend. There are two ways of saying the same things. That between the day of Pentecost and the Messiah's return, the gospel will be preached and it will spread and there will be converts from all nations. But at the same time, there will be wars and there will be deaths and there will be famines. Jerusalem would be invaded, the temple would be destroyed, the Jewish people would be scattered, there would be persecutions of the church, and there would be food price inflation, and famine, and plagues, and wars, and deaths on a huge scale. This is symbolic. Don't look out of your window at night and expect to see a pale horse riding on the clouds. Don't look out your window and expect to see a red horse or a black horse jogging along. This is symbolic. There will be gospel growth, but at the same time there will be international wars. There will be food price inflations. People will die from famines, from earthquakes, from pestilences, from plagues. But behind all this horrifying slaughter and death, Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. When are are these four horsemen going to ride out? Well, they were riding up back then in 1895. They were riding out in 1066. They were riding out in 1348. They're riding out in Ukraine now in 2022. But Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. Without Jesus, these three later horses, the black horse, the pale horse, the red horse, would terrify us. War, famine, death. But with Jesus, we know that God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. God is working his purpose out and the time is drawing near. Nearer and nearer draws the time, the time that shall surely be when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Thank God we can trust in Jesus who holds the keys of death and Hades. Next time, the Antichrist. Now there's something to look forward to, isn't there? Thank you.